Well, good morning to you who are in person with us, or you in the worship center, you in the venue, online. We're so grateful that you've chosen to be here. It is, uh, it is a good day uh, to be in the house of the Lord, and I enjoy the opportunities that I get to open up God's Word with you together. And it's an opportunity for me to say anything, and Pastor Dave can't do a thing about it, so we love that. I remember when my kids were small, they were struck down with the but they virus. And it was usually something that occurred after they had gotten in trouble. And I would question them and I would say, why did you not clean your room? They would respond, but they didn't clean their room either. Or I would say, how come you disobeyed? But they made me. But she, but he, but they. And I remember as a parent thinking, well, I got to get a pill for that but they virus. Last week, our pastor spoke about Focus Forward, the expansion of a vision to do incredible things for God's glory, not just here, but up and down the I-30 and 430 corridor. We had a a plan to do that. We had a, a vision to do that almost two years ago. But we were unclear on how to do that. So we brought in experts and had thoughts and prayer and time together. And we knew that for us to move forward, that we were going to have to clear up some of our vision, some of our mission. And we spoke of that last week. If you hear my voice today and did not listen to last Sunday's message, I encourage you to go to our website and make sure you hear that. There are some documents online that kind of explain more clarity about our mission, our vision, our strategy, and what we hope to do with what God is calling us out at Raymar property. But the vision to expand people, expand our mission, starts with people and not buildings. And our hope and desire is to gather a group, begin praying, seeking the scriptures together, and begin thinking and praying how we might gather people to start new works, not just at Raymar property and Bryant, but wherever the Lord tells us. Now, that's a big shift in our methodology here at Geyer Springs. We're known for building buildings. We're known for doing big events. But the truth is our methods have to change, and our heartbeat has always been, but now with great focus and great clarity, is people. And so the question to change some of our methods, the question to change some of our strategy begins to dwell up in my mind and heart. If you're like me, I look at rules or I look at guidelines or I look at things and I ask myself, why? Why do they do it that way? So why the change here at Geyer Springs? Why is our heartbeat not just to to reach people here, but now to reach people there and to have a focus of building people for the heartbeat and the glory of God wherever he calls us. Well, it's not because we just want to grow numerically. It's not because we want a name for our church. It's not because that's the easier thing to do or because we have nothing else to do. It is because of the gospel. The gospel made us do it. You know, last week our pastor spoke about values. One of the values that we've begun to uncover and really unpack here at Geyer Springs is the value of gospel centrality. 
that we want whatever we do here to be centered in the gospel of Jesus Christ. And we wrote a statement that says this, believing the gospel is for everyone, we will share in its truths of redemption, reconciliation, and restoration through preaching, compassion, and hospitality. You know, the gospel should be at the center of all we do, but unfortunately, sometimes it's not. You know, a church can get really busy doing church-like things and forget to be the church. And sometimes we get caught in a cycle of doing good things, but forget that the center of what we do ought to be the gospel. We can be very, very busy and not really make an impact for the kingdom of God. And we felt like we were at a season of doing that, a hamster on the wheel, rolling, 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 but really not getting anywhere. And in the reality of us evaluating that, we thought to ourselves, if we believe the gospel should be at the center of what we do, then we must act like the gospel is at the center of what we do. Why? Expand. Because the gospel makes us do it. If you have your Bibles, I invite you to turn to the book of Colossians. We're going to unpack what the gospel is. Colossians chapter 1 And the gospel takes center stage for the church of Colossae. A believer named Epaphras started this church. And while he was there leading the people, some bad doctrine began to infiltrate the church of Colossae. So Epaphras travels to Rome and he begins to talk with Brother Paul. And Paul begins to help understand what's going on at this church. And we realize that there were many within the church that begin to have a different version of the gospel. They were downplaying the the humanity of Christ or downplaying the deity of Christ or questioning the sufficiency of Christ. And so their gospel was very unclear. So Paul takes some time to write this letter. And in writing this letter, he's making very clear for them what the gospel is. And I think it's time for us, if the gospel is going to make us do some things different, We need to understand what it is and why it compels us to do so. So Colossians chapter 1, we're going to start in verse 3 and read through verse 8. We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus, when we pray to you, since we've heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love that you have for all the saints, because of the hope laid up for you in heaven. Of this you have heard before in the word of truth, the gospel, which has come to you, as indeed the whole world, it is bearing fruit and increasing, as it also does among you, since the day you heard it and understood the grace of God in truth. Just as you learned it from Epaphras, our beloved fellow servant, he is a faithful minister of Christ on your behalf and has made known to us the love in the Spirit." I think in these verses, Paul helps us understand what the gospel is and why it pushes us, compels us to do some things. To understand the gospel, we need to understand the content of the gospel, the intent of the gospel, and the extent of the gospel. Let's look at the content of the gospel. Paul speaks of this, and he says, As we're thinking of you, we thank God for you. And he tells them why we thank God, because they've heard of their faith in Christ, their love for others, and their hope in heaven. Faith, hope, and love are contents of the gospel of faith in Christ. He's heard that they believe in the gospel of Jesus Christ. They were not pulled away in their own pagan ways or or pulled away into the law, but they 
have trusted Christ. They have believed in him. And as a result of that, they begin to love other people. They have reordered their priorities. And their hope is not in themselves, but their hope is in the kingdom of God. Paul is describing what the true gospel is. But Paul later, as he wrote a letter to the church at Corinth, helps us unpack the gospel even more. You don't have to turn there. It will be on the screen. But in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, Paul lays out a picture of what the gospel is. Chapter 15, verses 1 and 4. It says, Now I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you, which you received, in which you stand, and by which you are being saved. If you hold fast to the word I preached to you, unless you believed in vain, for I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received. That Christ died for our sin, according to the Scripture, that he was buried, and that he was raised on the third day, according to the Scripture. Paul unpacks the content of the gospel here to the church at Corinth. Believing in the words you have preached that Christ died for our sin. Pastor just mentioned that, that the remission of sin requires death. It requires Blood. Christ died for that sin and in that death built a bridge for man to have relationship with God. In that death, he battled the enemy, but on the third day, he rose in victory. This is the content of the gospel, the death, the burial, and the resurrection. And it's the belief in those things that we call the gospel. We just had an incredible expression of what the gospel is through the Lord's Supper. As we spoke of his body broken on our behalf, represented by the bread. As we spoke of his blood that was spilt on our behalf, represented by the juice. As we remind ourselves of what the cross was about, we can celebrate that the death did not hold him. This is the contents of the gospel. You know, the gospel can kind of be summed up in one word, grace. You know, our sin brings us death, but by God's grace, we have his love. And in that love, he gave us the opportunity to have a relationship with him, even though we didn't deserve it. One of my favorite passages of Scripture is Ephesians chapter 2. Starting in verse 1, it says, And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked. You were following the course of the world, but God who is rich in mercy because of his great love for which he had for us, even when we were dead in our sin, made us alive together in Christ. By grace, you have been saved. So when we talk about the content of the gospel, we need to be reminded that it is the grace of God to us through his son Jesus. That's what the gospel is about. And that is what we should put our focus in if we're a church that's focusing forward with the value of being centered in on the gospel. We can't get caught up in doing a lot of good things and forget that we ought to get caught up in doing the best thing, which is share the gospel, the death and the burial and the resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now I'm getting fired up. Y'all getting hot in here? This last year, I realized I had a, a sugar problem. And I went to my wife and I said, I think I'm addicted to sugar. And she said, you, you are addicted to sugar. I have a big sweet tooth, and I remember thinking i got to make some changes. I'm not living a healthy lifestyle, and I need to think about how I can be better at that so I can be a better father, husband, and a pastor. And so I did something that I, I necessarily don't really recommend, 
You remember that ice storm we had a couple of months ago? The storm that blew, blew a couple of feet of snow. We were trapped in our homes with our crazy children for several days and we couldn't get out. That's when I decided to go off sugar. <laughs> like a crazy person. It was kind of like Jack Nicholson in the movie The Shining. That's pretty much what was going on in my life. And so I would go to the pantry and I'd pull out an ingredient and I'd look at the ingredients and I would say sugar and sugar. And it's got sugar. And sugar. Do you know if Fruit Loops has sugar in it? Do y'all know that? <laughs> you know, if Jesus were to pull our church off the shelf and look inside of us, what are the ingredients he would see? And I would hope and pray that at the beginning of that ingredients list would be the gospel of Jesus Christ. That he wouldn't see other things that get in the way. Not necessarily bad things, but other things. You know, the gospel has to take center stage in the life of our church if we're going to expand and move forward. The gospel is important. Our understanding of the gospel is important. To understand the gospel, we have to understand the content. But secondly, we have to understand the intent of the gospel. Paul here, as he speaks of the intent of the gospel, in verse 6, Colossians chapter 1, we read it a moment ago. He says, the gospel is bearing fruit and increasing in the world and in you. You know, the gospel is not just a set of ethics that, that we believe. It's not just a, a doctrine of belief that Christ died, was buried, and rose again, although it is that, but it's not just that. The gospel isn't just a way into the kingdom, but it is a way for the kingdom. The gospel is the way that we grow and are renewed every day. When you think about the gospel of Christ Jesus in your life, I need you to think about the grace and the love and the truth and the peace and the joy and these things that come with the gospel. Then the intent of the gospel is that we live that out. You know, if we had to sum up the intent of the gospel in, in a word, I might choose the word grow. The gospel is an instrument of continual growth and spiritual progress. Its intent is to produce fruit in our life. I love chapter verse one, sorry, chapter one, verse six, bearing this fruit and increasing. I'm just not sure that happens all the time with us. You know, the gospel with his truth and his love, I'm, I'm not sure that it produces all the fruit that it could in our individual lives and in our life as a body of believers. And sometimes we lack that fruit. Paul provides an example of what this might look like as he corrects Peter. In Galatians chapter 2, Peter was guilty of treating the Gentiles differently than treating the Jews. And so Paul calls him out and, and, and in fact, calls him a hypocrite and says, stop being full of hypocrisy. But there in chapter 2 of Galatians, verse 14, it says, but when I saw that their conduct was not in step with the truth of the gospel, I said to Cephas before them all, if you, though a Jew, live like a Gentile and not like a Jew, how can you force the Gentiles to live like Jews? Peter was out of step of the gospel. He was living without living out the ramifications of the gospel. He was out of step of the intent of the gospel. Listen, the gospel is not just a way to life. The gospel is a way of life. And I'm 
so thoughtful of the fact that when I was eight years old, I grabbed on to the gift of the gospel, and I made Jesus the Lord and Savior of my life. And since then, the challenge for me is to live out the intent that it's not just a way to the life, but it's a way of life. And God has called me to live out that way. And when I do that, I live in the power of God for me. Paul in Romans chapter 1, verse 16, describes the reality that the gospel is the power of God for salvation. Paul describes this power in such a great way. The intent of the gospel is that we exercise this power in every area of our life. Gives us the power not to sin when we want to sin. It gives us the power to be kind when we don't want to be kind. It gives us the power not to lose it with our children or our spouse. It gives us the power to live in righteousness. This is what it means to walk in Christ, to do as he did, to love as he loved. And I'm convinced sometimes we're a little too comfortable with our faith to walk in faith. This last week, our, our students were at Collide Camp. Pastor Jason Smith was there. He's been our Collide pastor for several years. And my kids were coming home. They were telling stories about Collide and kind of unpacking some things that the Lord spoke to them about. And, and in one session, the Pastor Jason mentioned this, that we can stand in faith and never walk in Jesus. I'm going to repeat that. We can stand in faith and never walk in Jesus. I don't want to be guilty of holding on to my faith and not walking in the gospel, bearing fruit of the gospel in my life. I'm afraid we're not allowing the gospel to take over. You know, I think it's interesting, somewhere about 25 or 26, I became a homeowner for the first time. And when Brooke and I moved into our first home, the very first thing I did was mow my lawn. Because now I had a lawn to mow. And I don't know what it is inside every man, but we walk outside to our lawn, we put our hands on our hips, and we just look at grass like it's going to speak to us. Some of you have husbands or dads like this. Some of you dads are not going to admit this, but this is the way it is. We look at our grass, and and we kind of complain the fact we've got to mow all the time. But the truth is we water it. We fertilize it. We want it to grow, but we want to mow it down. And if you're like me at my house, in the back of my property, I've got some woods. And so I mow the grass up to that wood line. And then every spring i got to get those trimmers and i got to trim that woods. Because if I don't, that woods, those woods will take over my lawn. If I don't mow the grass, that grass will take over my home. I think that's what the gospel should be doing in our lives, taking over. Yet we find ourselves mowing it down and trimming it up. Because if we were really honest with ourselves, we don't love the idea that the intent of the gospel is to take over our life. Because we want to keep everything the way we want to keep everything. I'm good with Jesus as long as he's over here. I'm good as long as Jesus doesn't tell me to do these things. And we mow them down and we trim them up and we like the way it looks. But the truth of the matter is, if I mow over my garden every time I see a sprout, I'll never enjoy the fruit. And I'll live an unfulfilled life. The same is true with us as believers. If you're a Christ follower in the room and you're mowing over the gospel because you don't want it to make a sacrifice for you or you're not afraid of what it might call you to do, 
you will live an unfulfilled life because you'll never experience the fruit of the gospel. We can hang on to it for salvation, but if we're not living it out and allowing it to grow, I think we're missing the intent of the gospel. Verse 6 says that we are bearing its fruit and it's increasing. It's two different ideas. The fruit is being born. There's an increase of the fruit as well. I think they both work in tandem. Producing fruit as believers will cause, cause the kingdom of God to grow. If we as believers are producing the fruit of the gospel in us, our church will grow. And the inverse could be the same. That churches who don't grow, it's, we blame it on the fact that there's not good events or the fact that the preacher's not so great or it's a bad location. There's a lot of reasons churches don't grow. But let it never be said of our church that we're not growing because its people aren't being transformed more and more into the likeness of his son Jesus, that we're guilty of not bearing fruit. I know this, that when we bear the fruit of the gospel, that the witness that that sends out to our community causes people to want what we have in Christ and more people are born again. The reality and the relationship between our own personal transformation and numeric growth and kingdom impact cannot be overstated. Paul in Acts 9 speaks of this. Acts 9, verse 31. So the church throughout all of Judea and Galilee and Samaria had peace and was being built up and walking in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Spirit, it multiplied. If we're going to be a church that grows, it's kingdom impact. We need to be a church that's also bearing fruit of the gospel as individuals. A key word for the intent of the gospel is grow. Another key word for the intent of the gospel is given. That the gospel should be given away. Epaphras does that here to this church at Colossae. Paul more than likely discipled Epaphras, and Epaphras then disciples others. As Paul gave the gospel to Epaphras, Epaphras gives the gospel to others, and a church is born. Paul speaks of this just as you learned it there in verse 7. Just as you learned it from Epaphras, our beloved fellow servant, learned what? The gospel. Epaphras was faithful, Paul says, to give out the gospel. That's the intent of the gospel. We spoke of this verse earlier, Romans chapter 1, verse 16. For I am not ashamed of the gospel. It is the power of God in salvation, first to the Jew and then the Greek. Paul was bold about giving it away. It wasn't something he tried to cover it up, but it was a badge that he wore to others, that they would see Christ in him. And I pray that we live out the intent of the gospel, not being believers who are ashamed, but being believers who are boldly proclaiming and giving out the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's our calling. That's why we're looking to expand the ministries, because we need to live out the intent. Remember, the gospel is not a way just to life, but it is a way of life. To understand the gospel, we've got to understand the content the intent. And last, this morning, we have to understand the extent of the gospel. If the gospel is living and breathing, 
The gospel is alive, bearing fruits, increasing. It's not only an ethic by which we believe to receive salvation, but it's an ethic by which we live out that salvation. How far do we go? Well, the, world, the word gospel literally means good news. In the Greek, the Greek word is euangelion, which is the word we get to evangelize. So literally, when you speak of the gospel, we're speaking of the good news, and at its core, it's meant to be shared. It's meant to be given out. But if a key word for the gospel in the reality of being in the extent, I would sum it up by this. I would say the gospel is global. The gospel is global. The scripture reveals about this extent of the gospel. Colossians 1.6, in the whole world, the gospel is bearing fruit. Romans 1.16, for first the Jew, then the Greek, speaks of not only a, a geography of the gospel, but then a, a reality that surpasses socioeconomic and racial boundaries. Mark 16.15, Jesus said to them, go into the world and proclaim the gospel to the whole creation. Pastor Dave mentioned this last week, Matthew 28, the Great Commission. Go to all nations. Go to all places among all people and proclaim the gospel. The extent of the gospel is, in fact, global. But we can't reach the nations unless we're willing to reach our neighbors. You see, the extent of the gospel starts wherever you are. It's not just the idea that one day you want to go on a mission trip. It's that you are already on a mission trip and how you live and how you work and, and how you play. God's called us to go to all places among all people. And sometimes that's got to start at home. When it comes to the extent of the gospel, it's not just for us. It is for them. Let us not be guilty of hoarding the gospel for ourselves. Let us be guilty of sending the gospel around the world. And some of us need to walk down the street in order to begin that process. So how do we apply this today? A couple of things I would say. Are you living out the intent of the gospel? Is the gospel growing and bearing fruit in your life? If the Lord were to look at the ingredients of your life and he's reading the ingredients list, is he seeing the gospel growing in you? Or are you cutting down the gospel in your life, afraid of what it might call you to do or to compel you to do or the sacrifices it might make? Can I just tell you, if you don't mow down the gospel in your life, it will begin to take over. It will change how you think. It will change how you spend your money. It'll change how you relate to your spouse and to your kids. It'll change your viewpoint, your perspective on, on what work and career really is. And in that process of it taking over, the power of God will be with you. And as you look at every area of your life and begin to bear that gospel fruit, you begin to look at people the way Jesus looked at you. You begin to express the grace that was expressed to you to love people the way God loves you, to be patient with people the way God is patient with you. As you begin to live out that gospel in your life, it will take over. But let me tell you, don't be afraid of it. We're hanging on to our own things. And in the end, those things don't matter. Can I invite you today to let go? Let the gospel grow. And don't be afraid 
Will it be easy? No. Will it be uncomfortable? Absolutely. Will you be fulfilled? I guarantee it. Let the gospel grow in you. Let us not be guilty of mowing it down. If the gospel is to grow in you, let me ask you this, is it growing from you? Are you sharing it readily? Here's a question I had to ask myself earlier in the week. How far am I willing to go to share the gospel? And I'm not talking about geography. The Lord has blessed me. I've preached the gospel on six continents. It's not about how far. Geographically. It's how far am I willing to go? Am I willing to cross some of those social lines and share the gospel with people that aren't like me? To be hospitable and compassionate to people who believe way differently than I believe. And I'm not talking about in a third world country. I'm talking about next door or the neighbor down the street or the guy on the other side of the parking lot. I'm talking about right here at home. If we're going to be a church that values gospel centrality, how far are we willing to go? Let your life be the mission trip. And last, I would say this. Maybe this morning... You've come to understand the true gospel. That Jesus loves you. Jesus died for you. That through that death, he's provided a way for you to have a relationship with God. And in that relationship with God, he will give you abundant life now, but eternal life forever. I hope and pray that if you've never truly understood the gospel, that you understand it today. But more than that, I hope you don't just understand the gospel. I hope you believe the gospel and place your faith in that belief that the gospel is real and true and can provide hope and peace and love for you and that can provide a purpose for you. And that all you have to do this morning is seek Jesus for the forgiveness of sin. And the scripture says, as you believe in who he is and what he did, he will enter into you, make your sins as white as snow, cleanse you through his blood, and you will have new life. And I invite you this morning, if you're online, if you're in the venue, if you're here with us, that you not leave, you not turn off the TV, you not move without asking somebody around you, hey, I'd like to know how I can not just understand the gospel, but how I can believe and trust the gospel. Because the gospel is for you. Why expand the ministries away from here? Why change our methods here? The gospel is why. And I hope and pray with one voice that we as a church in unison can say, the gospel made us do it.